This afternoon we're going to consider Baptist Catechism number 109. We're approaching the end of our catechism. There are 114 questions in it total. And so we will finish our journey through the catechism by the end of the year. Baptist Catechism 109 asks, What do we pray for in the second petition? So we are working our way through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we've considered the preface, we've considered the first petition and what, and what it means. Now we come to the second petition. In the second petition, which is, Thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed, and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. I'll read now from Matthew 9, verses 35-38. through 38. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest, that He would send out laborers into His harvest. This is now the reading of God's Holy Word. May He bless the teaching of it this afternoon. You know, over the years I've tried to teach you to think of the story of the Bible as a story about the establishment of God's kingdom. And as I prepared for this sermon this afternoon, I was mindful of the fact that I've talked a lot about this recently, and so I, I do pray that you would bear with the repetitiveness. It's important that we bring it up yet again. The story of the Bible is a story about the establishment of God's kingdom. And yes, there are other ways to talk about the story of the Bible. We may divide the story into four parts, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Or we may divide up the scriptures according to the covenants that God has made with man the covenant of works in the garden, the old covenant transacted with Abraham and later with Israel through Moses and with David. And then finally, uh, the new covenant, which is the covenant of grace that was promised immediately after the fall of man into sin. These are important and helpful ways to understand the story of Scripture too. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation, or, or the covenants. We can talk about Scripture using these themes. And please hear me, these ways of talking about the story of the Bible, they do not disagree with the story of God's kingdom, but completely agree with it. They, they, they perfectly complement it. The story of Scripture is indeed the story of the establishment of God's kingdom. That story does involve creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. It also involves covenants, for this is how God administers His kingdom he administers His kingdom through covenants. So what is a kingdom? As you have heard from me before and, and even recently, to have a kingdom you must have three elements. You must have a king. Two, you must have a land. Three, you must have citizens. And if we were to speak of the story of the Bible using kingdom language, how would we put it exactly? We would say something like this, in the beginning, God offered His eternally blessed kingdom to Adam, but Adam rejected it. We might ask, well, where was that kingdom? It was originally in the garden, but it was to spread to the ends of the earth. 
And who were the citizens of that kingdom? We would say Adam and Eve were, and all of their posterity were to be the citizens of this kingdom. And who was the king? We say God was. And Adam was to function as God's representative on earth. He was the original prophet, priest, and king, the head or representative of the human race. He was to worship and serve his maker faithfully on earth and thus bring this kingdom to its consummate state, that is to say, to the state of glory. But as I said, Adam rejected the kingdom. This he did when he listened to the voice of another. He decided to cast the authority of his maker aside and to live for his own glory. Adam became the first rebel and traitor, and the kingdom of God that was offered to him was lost. But as you know, God, by His grace, determined to establish His kingdom another way. He would not do it through Adam. He would not do it through the covenant of works that was made with Adam. But He promised, even in the presence of Adam and Eve, that He would provide a Savior or Redeemer through the offspring of Eve. A son of hers would one day establish the kingdom that Adam failed to obtain. And as you know, this announcement is found in Genesis 3.15, And it is repeated in different ways throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. And it is repeated with ever-increasing clarity until that Redeemer and Savior did come. He is Christ the Lord. So then we may talk about God's kingdom in these terms. First it was offered and then rejected by Adam. And then it was graciously promised by the Lord, even in the presence of Adam and Eve, and the curse that was pronounced upon the serpent. It also must be said that in the days of Moses, on to the resurrection of Christ from the grave, and His ascension to the Father's right hand, God's kingdom was prefigured in the nation of Israel. Laws were added to set those people apart as holy. Those people were given land. In due time, kings were appointed who were to serve, like Adam, as God's representatives. At the very heart of that nation's existence was the tabernacle and later temple. Old Covenant Israel was a holy nation set apart by God to worship and serve Him. And I'm saying that this was an earthly picture of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was prefigured there in Old Covenant Israel. But please hear me, brothers and sisters. It was not until Christ came into the world to accomplish His work, the work of redemption, That it was said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist preached this way. Christ preached this way. And when Christ rose from the grave, He ascended and He poured out His Spirit upon those who believe. It was at that moment that the eternal kingdom of God was truly present on earth. We might ask the question, who is the king of this kingdom? And we must say that God rules it through Christ. Who are the citizens of this kingdom? They are all who believe, who have Christ as Lord, and are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And where is this kingdom now? It is visibly manifest in the church, but it will one day fill the earth when Christ returns to judge and to make all things new. Therefore, when we speak of the kingdom of God on earth today, we must speak of it as inaugurated or begun but not yet consummated or brought to completion. And I hope you can see why I have rehearsed all of that with you uh, today. 
This is all familiar to you. As I've said, we've spoken of it much as of late. But it serves, this story of the establishment of God's kingdom found throughout Scripture, it serves as a vital introduction to our catechism question for today, which asks, what do we pray for in the second petition? Again, hear the answer in the second petition, which is, Thy kingdom come. We pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and the kingdom of glory may be hastened. So understanding what the kingdom of God is and how it has advanced throughout the history of redemption is really vital to understanding what we mean when we, when we pray the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. What is meant by that? Well, we must know the story of Scripture. The kingdom of God advances in this age as Satan's kingdom is destroyed. The two things happen simultaneously. In order for God's kingdom to advance, Satan's kingdom must be destroyed. Everyone in the world belongs to one of these two kingdoms. There are two kingdoms present in this world. Of course, I am speaking in a spiritual sense here. I'm not speaking of earthly nations. I'm speaking of spiritual kingdoms. There are two kingdoms in the world today. And everyone in the world belongs to one of two kingdoms. All men are born in Adam. They are born into the broken covenant of works. And they are born into Satan's kingdom. Remember, Adam rebelled against God and submitted himself to Satan instead. God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom are presently diametrically opposed to one another. The one is light, the other is darkness. And when God's kingdom advances, Satan's kingdom must be destroyed. This is what we pray for when we pray that God's kingdom come. We are praying for the advancement of Christ's kingdom, of God's kingdom. And we are praying for the overthrow and destruction of Satan's kingdom. More than this, we pray that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it. Now we might ask, how does this happen? How does the kingdom of God, which is here called the kingdom of grace, how does it advance? And you should know that it advances not with the sword, not through political or military might, but through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know that this gospel is called the gospel of the kingdom. As men and women believe this gospel, they turn from their sins and they bow their knee to King Jesus. They confess Him to be Lord. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, what are we praying for then except the success of the gospel? We are praying that men and women would hear it and believe it by the power of the Holy Spirit and that they would be kept by God. In other words, we are praying for the building up and preservation of the church. We are praying that the gospel would be preached, that men and women would hear it, that the Spirit would open blind eyes so that men and women can see, that they would confess Jesus as Lord and be brought into Christ's church. Lastly, we are praying that the kingdom of glory may be hastened, our catechism says. Notice that the kingdom is first referred to as the kingdom of grace, and then the kingdom is referred to as the kingdom of glory. I think 
what our catechism is doing here by calling the kingdom of God by these two terms is making a distinction between the kingdom inaugurated and the kingdom consummated. God's kingdom, it is one, it is not two, but it is one, but it is, it is coming in, in two different stages. First, it is the kingdom of grace. We, we live in God's kingdom now if we have Christ Jesus as Lord and King. His grace has been bestowed upon us. And so we are in God's kingdom truly. But our catechism refers to this same kingdom as the kingdom of glory. Uh, and in this way, our catechism speaks of the kingdom of God in its consummate stage, in, in its state of, uh, of glory. And so when we say, Thy kingdom come in the Lord's Prayer, we really mean two different things by it. We pray that God's kingdom, which has been inaugurated, that it will advance in this world, that the gospel would go forth, that Satan's kingdom would be overthrown now, and that sinners would be rescued out of it and brought into the kingdom of, of grace now. We are to pray for those kinds of things. But also, we mean, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We, we, we mean, may your kingdom come in a consummate sense. May, may Christ return to make all things new. Uh, we are to pray uh, for this and long for the day when Christ returns to make all things new. So, uh, by way of conclusion, I might ask you this. What sorts of things should we pray for under the petition, Thy kingdom come? And this is really what I want to emphasize with you. Um, each of these petitions, they are not meant to be merely recited from memory, word for word, and then moved on from but rather each one of these petitions should prompt us to pray for certain types of things. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We are to pray that God would be glorified. We are to pray that God would be exalted to the ends of the earth, that he would be praised. In fact, we are to give him praise under that petition. We're to give him thanks and praise. But when we pray, Thy kingdom come, what sorts of things should we pray for? Let me mention just a few to get your mind headed in the right direction. Under this petition, Thy kingdom come, we should pray for the salvation of those we know and their baptism into the church. We should pray for the growth of the church. We should pray for the health of the church. We should pray for the work of elders and deacons, the success of missionaries and church planters, the flourishing of those institutions that train pastors, the prosperity of our association and the churches within. We should also pray for one another in the body of Christ that the Lord would keep us from falling, that we would use the gifts that God has given to us for the building up of the body of Christ, that our love for one another would grow and our unity would be preserved along with many other things. Do you see how the Lord's Prayer, each petition of it, should prompt us to pray for many things? Uh, that we should not just say a line and then move on from it, but that we should think about what the line signifies. We should think about the theme that the line introduces, the petition. And then we should sit there for a little while in our private prayer time, or even as we pray corporately as a congregation. We should sit there for a little while, and we should pray for all of those things that come to our minds that fall under that particular petition. What should we pray for under the second petition, which is, Thy kingdom come? Really, we should be praying for anything that has to do with sinners being transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Let's bow for a brief prayer, and then we will go uh, to corporate prayer after that. 
Our Father in heaven, we do pray that your kingdom would come. We pray that your kingdom, which is present on earth now, that it would advance through the preaching of the gospel and by the working of the Holy Spirit. We pray for our friends and family members and neighbors who do not have Christ as King, that you would draw them to yourself. As they hear the gospel, we pray that the Spirit would convict them of sin, that the Spirit would draw them, that the Spirit would open their eyes, making them able to see and unstop their ears, making them able to truly hear the gospel. Have mercy upon sinners, O Lord. And we pray that you would also keep us and purify us as your people. We have professed that Jesus is Lord. I pray that you would make him to be our Lord in more and more sincere ways from this day forward. May we honor him as such. We thank you, O God, for your faithfulness to us. We pray that your church would be built up strong and true to the glory of your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.